This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. We start things out. I want to get to some emails, but before we do that, I really think that there's a story that people need to hear about the airports of America. And over time, we keep hearing more and more stories like this. Uh, so it's important to bring people's attention to it. In case you know, you're know you new to the program, in case you're new to the ideas of freedom, liberty, you need to hear these stories. Because if you aren't traveling internationally to countries that the uh, government people might have questions about, then you may not really realize what's going on right here in the so-called land of the free. You may be completely oblivious to it, because these kinds of stories, they just don't get big coverage. You know, it's for, To me, this is big news, but I guess to the mainstream media, it's no big deal. For most of Americans, it's just business as usual, and you know, forget about it. So the story is from Alternate.org, and it is written by Emily Feeder, who went on, um, I guess, a vacation to Syria, of all places. Now, it shouldn't matter where you go. I mean, especially if you're a so-called American citizen, right, which she is. They should treat you with some respect when you come back, right? I mean, you're coming back to your country. You're a tax-paying citizen or whatever. Shouldn't they at least say, hey, welcome back. We're glad to have you. One would think. But uh, that's just not the way things are these days in the post-9-11 America, where everyone is under suspicion, especially people coming back from a country like Syria. Now, of course, if you were coming back from, if you were wanting to be a terrorist, then you might want to come back from a different country in order to kind of cover your trail a little bit. Yeah, no doubt a terrorist, somebody who actually was a terrorist, isn't going to be coming back from Syria. They're going to make a stop off in Frankfurt, stay there for a week, and then come on. But let's talk about how this young lady, uh, presumably young lady, was uh, treated. She says, I arrived at JFK Airport two weeks ago after a short vacation to Syria and presented my American passport for reentry to the United States. Now, what's funny about all this is these stories usually catch the people that are the victims here off guard, too. Like, they had no idea it was this bad. They had no idea that this stuff was going on. And they certainly didn't think it would happen to them. Anyway, after 28 hours of traveling, I'd settled into a hazy awareness that this was the last and most familiar leg of a long journey. I exchanged friendly words with the Homeland Security official who was recording my name in his computer. He scrolled through my passport, and when his thumb rested on my Syrian visa, he paused. Jerking toward the door of his glass-enclosed booth, he slid my passport into a dingy green plastic folder and walked down the hallway, motioning for me to follow with a flick of his wrist. Where was he taking me, I asked him. You'll find out. He said. We got to an enclosed holding area in the arrivals section of the airport. He shoved the folder into my hand and gestured toward four sets of Homeland Security guards sitting at large desks. Attached to each desk were metal poles capped with red, white, and blue siren lights. I approached two guards sitting at, uh, excuse me, I approached two guards carrying weapons and wearing uniforms similar to New York City police officers, but they shook Which their... Which means that they look like, uh, they, they look like stormtroopers of death. I mean, they're completely black, blacked out. Is that what you're talking I about? I don't know. Okay. Well, because I... I don't I, think all the, not all the police officers in New York City are stormtroopers. When, when I was in New York City, I saw helmets, you know, the you know, right. wraparound glasses. We were on the financial, we were in the financial district. What looks like uh, submachine guns strapped over their shoulders. I mean, these guys were going to war. 
But those uh, particular... weren't what I would have called police officers. They were what I would have called soldiers. She says those two guards that were carrying the weapons and looking like the New York City police officers shook their heads, laughed, and said, over there, pointing into the direction of four overflowing holding pens. I approached different desks until I found an official who nodded and shoved my green folder in a crowded metal file holder. When I asked him why I was there, he glared at me, took a sip from his water bottle, bit into a sandwich, and began to dig between his molars with his forefinger. I found a seat next to a man who looked about my age in his late 20s and waited. Omar, now that's not his real name, finished his fifth year in biomedical engineering at City College in June. He had just arrived from Beirut, where he visited his family and was waiting to go home to the apartment that he shared with his brother in Harlem. Despite his near-perfect English and designer jeans, Omar looked scared. He rubbed his hands and rocked softly in his seat. He had been waiting for hours already, and as he pointed out, a number of people, some sick, elderly, pregnant, or holding sobbing babies, they'd been waiting for hours too. There were approximately 70 people detained in our cordoned-off section. All were Arab. Hmm, thought they weren't singling people out. I thought they... I guess I misunderstood. Well, it would seem like uh, Arab people would be coming from Arab countries, visiting family and friends and that kind of thing. And almost all had arrived from Dubai, Amman, or Damascus. Many were U.S. citizens. We were in the front row, sitting a few feet from two guards' desks. They sneered at each bewildered arrival, told jokes in whispers, swiveled in their office chairs, and greeted passing guards who stopped to talk, guards who had a habit of looping their fingers into their holsters. One asked his friend how many nationalities were represented in the room. About 20. Some of everything today. Not one, or excuse me, no one who had been detained knew precisely why they were there. A few people were led into private rooms. Others were questioned out in the open at desks a few feet from the crowd and then allowed to pass through customs. Some were sent to another section of the holding area with large computer screens and cameras and then brought back. The uniform, or the uninformed consensus among the detainees was that some people would be fingerprinted, have their irises scanned, and be sent back to the countries from which they disembarked. Regardless of citizenship status, others would be fingerprinted and allowed to stay. Regardless of whether or not they're American citizens? That doesn't make any sense. Well, as she said, it's the uninformed consensus of the, among the detainees. Oh, they I couldn't see. get any information from the bureaucrats, so you saying. can just speculate. And uh, that uh, the unlucky ones would be detained indefinitely and moved to a more permanent facility. There was one British tourist in the group, Paul, also not his real name, was traveling with three friends who had passed through customs soon after their plane landed and were waiting for him on the other side of the metal, the metal barrier. A long time, apparently. Yep, he suspected he'd been detained because of his dark skin. When he asked if he could go to the bathroom, one of the guards said, I wouldn't. What if someone has to, I asked. They'll just have to hold it. The guard responded with a smile. Paul began to cry. As I watched... Uh, I watched as he, over the course of four hours, went from feeling exuberant about his trip to New York to despising the entire country. He said, I speak the Queen's English, he told me. I'm third-generation British. I came to America because I've always wanted to come here, and now they've got me so scared that all I want to do is go home. We're paying for your stupid war anyway. To be powerless... Uh, How was he paying? Yeah, I don't know. Taxes, I guess? I don't know. Anyway, to be powerless and mocked at the same time makes one feel ashamed, which leads quickly to rage. Within a few hours of my arrival, I saw at least ten people denied the right to use the bathroom or to buy food and water. I watched my traveling companion duck under a barrier, run to the bathroom, and slip back into the holding section, which, of course, someone of another ethnicity in a state of panic would be very reluctant to do. The United States is good at naming enemies, but apparently we're even better at making them, especially of individuals. I don't know if it's worse for national security and more embarrassing for Americans that this is the first experience tourists have of our country or that some U.S. citizens get treated this way upon entering or re-entering their own country. 
Well, we've seen that when security measures are implemented or they get stricter, we've seen tourism drop off, especially yeah, significantly. You know, since 9-11. I forget the percentages, but it's, it's a like significant... 20%, yeah. Business travels way down, and regular tourism's down as well. My number's old, but it was like 20% uh, foreign, and I've uh, heard numbers as high as, uh, they, you know, half of them say they're just never coming back. Who wants to but go through course, that crap? You know. I mean, who wants, to be, who wants to go through this to attend a business meeting? Who wants to go through this just to go to, D- to Disney World or something like that? Have your relatives come visit you in your country. Yes, yeah, so they can be treated like this when they come back, apparently. Oh, that's a good point. The guard who'd been picking his molars for hours quietly mispronounced the names of each people or of people whose turn it was to be questioned, muttering each surname three times and then moving on. When he called Omar from City College to his desk, I moved closer to hear the interview. Where did you go? The officer asked. What is your address in the United States? Is your brother here illegally? Do you support Hezbollah? What do you think of Hezbollah in general? How do you pay for your life here? How many people live with you? Are you sure it's just you and your brother? Who are your friends? Who are your friends? Omar answered that question. Omar answered respectfully and emphatically. He was then asked to wait by the side of the desk from which he was ushered toward one of the rooms. After four hours, I finally demanded to speak to the guard's supervisor. And he was called down, believe it or not. I asked if the detainees believe it actually. Yeah. I asked if the detainees could file a formal complaint because you know that's going to do something, right? Yeah, formal complaint will do it. All right, we'll tell you what happens here in a few moments. Uh, as though it weren't bad enough, it's just amazing that this is going on right here under everybody's noses, and most people I think are completely unaware of this. And if they heard about it going on, they'd say, "Well, you're coming from those dirty countries. That's all right. You can treat them like that." More coming up. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us, including archives. Uh, you go and grab them up right there from the front page of the site. Easy to download and completely free at freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project. It's your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. So go and get more information over at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. As we continue this story, your calls, uh, by the way, if you make them, uh, are the point of the program. In the meantime, we fill the air with stories you just don't see in the mainstream media. Stories that are, and sometimes mainstream media, but very rarely, uh, but stories that are really important that people should hear about, like this one. I actually had it last night, but we got so uh, distracted by the conversation. It's, but it was so important, I wanted to get out there. It's about a woman, an American, so-called American citizen, who's coming back from vacation to Syria, and it doesn't really indicate if from Syria, vacation yes, from Syria, correct. Uh, well, yes, yes, yeah, she vacated to Syria and then was returning. Correct. Anyway, it doesn't actually uh, identify whether or not she is a brown person or if she was just coming back from Syria, but presumably maybe she is a little tinged. Well, I don't know. Her, her last name doesn't give an idiot. Feder, F-E-D-E-R, Feder. Yeah, so hard to, hard to say. But either way, most of the people that were being detained at the airport were folks of a Arabic descent. And there were, as she describes it, over 70 people in this detention facility at the airport, all of these people trying to get into the United States, 
and they were made to wait for hours upon hours, some probably being turned around, some probably taken into further detention, and some being let through eventually. But she sat there and watched as people were told that they can't go to the bathroom. Now, that's like one of the most basic human necessities, food, and being able to go number one and I number two. I totally believe it. This is the kind of thing they did during um, in prison. It, it, I, I totally believe it. That's the kind of thing they did to us. Yeah, but except you were actually you know, convicted. I know that you didn't do what you were convicted for, but at least there was some sort of process. I mean, there, there was some, some semblance of a process before... Right, I was you a convicted a, felon as right. opposed to you know, these people. Somebody walking Americans. off a plane, yeah, trying to go home or trying to come over here for a visit or a business uh, trip or whatever. Tran- traveling um, you know, as citizens of the land of the free. Yeah, this is how people are being treated right here in America, and you need to know about it. Here's the rest of the story. So she's been in this holding pen, for lack of a better term, for four hours, when she finally demanded to speak to the guard's supervisor, and he was called down. She says, I asked if the detainees could file a formal complaint. He said, there were complaint forms, which in English and Spanish direct one of the Department of Homeland, direct one to the Department of Homeland Security's website, where one must enter extensive personal information in order to file a trip summary. So, stop for one moment here. The complaint is a trip summary? I don't know. You can <laughs> go, go look at their website and see exactly what that even means. I don't know. They want to probably know about your trip in order for you to register your complaint, and you have to give them all kinds of details about yourself. So, how are you supposed to how are you supposed to read the complaint if you're coming from Syria, you know, or if you're coming from some well, place? Well, it's obviously set up so that Americans are um, more able to, yeah. uh, you know, file than other people. Right, so clearly it's not an easy process, and if you don't have access to the Internet, I guess you just can't file complaints with the Department of Homeland Security because you have to fill out their web form. So, uh, the you know, the 50% of the people in this country that don't generally access the Internet, what is it, 25% don't ever get on, like 50% barely ever get on, those people are out in the cold. you got a bad time coming back in. Well, you'll just have to go to the library or, you know, figure out how to get yourself Good online. Good luck to you. Well, anyway, the Department of um, – initially, he refused to hand out the forms and also refused to give his telephone number. The Department of Homeland Security is understaffed, underfunded, and I have men who are doing 14-hour days, as though we're supposed to feel bad. Yeah, I feel for bad for your, uh, you know, your stormtroopers that are worked too hard. He tried to intimidate me when I wrote down his name. So, uh, so you're writing down our names. Well, we have more on you. And he asked me questions about my address and my profession. In Funny front of, you say moron, sir. <laughs> and uh, asked questions about my profession in front of the rest of the people that had been detained. I pointed I'm a reporter. Out, <laughs> I pointed out a few of the families who'd missed their flights, and I'd been waiting and had been waiting seven hours. His voice barely controlled. His lip curled into a smirk. He explained slowly, condescendingly, that they need only go to the ticket counter in JetBlue and reschedule so they could fly out in an hour. Now, one mother responded with what he must have already known, that JetBlue goes to most destinations only once or twice a day, and her whole family would have to sleep in the airport. A large crowd began to gather. Everyone wanted to voice complaints. I explained to the supervisor that his guards had been making people afraid. He flipped through the green files, tossing the American passports to the front of the pile, You should have gone first, before these people. American citizens first. That's how it should be, he said. In the face of dozens of requests and questions from the people there, he then turned and left. 
The guards processed me then, ignoring the order of arrivals, if there ever had been one. They refused to distribute more complaint forms or call the supervisor back down at the request of the Arab families. One officer threatened, I'm talking politely to you now. If you don't sit down, I won't be talking politely to you anymore. One announced that because the American girl had gotten angry, the families would have to wait a few more hours. The supervisor is not coming back, they were told. I reassured my Homeland Security interrogator that I didn't make any connections with Hezbollah or with anyone I knew to be associated with such an organization. I am not a member of any terrorist group. In fact, my visit to Syria had been so apolitical and touristy that I felt an embarrassing affinity with the pastel-shirted families waiting by the Air France baggage carousels in the distance, whom I knew I would eventually join. As I walked out of the enclosure, some people thanked me, squeezing my arm and putting their hands on my shoulders. It was shocking that briefly standing up to someone overseeing an abuse of civil rights in JFK Airport in the United States, where we supposedly have laws and a democratic judicial system, could be perceived as heroic. I had nothing to lose, but the other people being detained had everything to lose. I, I bet they did. You know, I'm, I kind of wonder, and I, just I wasn't there, and, and so obviously we don't know the, uh, the the setup of the airport or anything. But what would have happened if she would have just said, "Nah, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm grabbing my crap and I'm oh leaving." Oh my, I don't know. What could they possibly do? Tackle her? And, and for what? Well, for violating. Yeah, you're going through customs. What have you? Bro- what law have you broken? Um, I'm sure they've got one. U.S. code <laughs> provides that they can hold you at the border of the United States. So. Customs can definitely arrest you if you decide you don't want to wait for them. I'm they will do it. Just interested. In the past five years, I've worked for human rights and refugee advocacy organizations in Serbia, Russia, and Croatia, including the International Rescue Committee and USAID. I've traveled to many different places, some supposedly repressive, and have never seen people treated with the kind of animosity that Homeland Security showed that night. In Syria, border control officers were stern but polite. All other At other borders, there have been bureaucracies to contend with, excruciating for both Americans and other foreign nationals. I've met Russian officials with dead, suspicious looks in their eyes and arms tired from stamping so many visas. But in America, the homeland security officials I encountered were very much alive, like vultures waiting to eat. Just thought I'd share that with you. Because that's what's going on. That's one person's account of what happened to her one evening at one airport. There were 70 people in those holding pens at that very moment. Now you think about that for a moment. How many people are being victimized in this way across the country as we are speaking right now? How many people in all the different international airports are being detained for hours on end without access to food, water, or a bathroom? You think about it, and then think about why you still pay taxes. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, including the Shrine of Female listeners. Dozens of ladies who've sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. Just go to shrine.freetalklive.com and see what that's all about. That again, shrine.freetalklive.com. In Chapter 6, Subterranean Tad Galahad goes to hell. In hell, he finds nanobots, killbots, sexbots, supermodel clones, immortality, and a rocket ride off this pale blue dot. Go to freedom-engineering.com. That's freedom-engineering.com. 
And uh, the Chapter 7 will be coming out soon. Very cool. Let's go to your phone calls. Mark is on the line listening to KTAE in Texas. Hello, Mark. Hey, guys. Hey, Great what's, show. Thanks. What's on uh, I want to I want to uh, almost flat out call this person that you've been reading the email from a liar. I'm a, a 10-year career police officer, been in law enforcement 20 years. I'm a blonde-haired, fair-skinned, white male, and I'm almost 50 years old. And the last two trips, one was overseas to Israel and one was to Florida for a vacation. I was singled out and picked out of every single security line at every airport, Waco Regional, uh, Houston Intercontinental, and Atlanta Hartsfield, and basically strip-searched, and my bags were pulled off uh, out of the line and out of the hole and gone through piece by piece by piece at each airport. I didn't receive that kind of scrutiny at either Amman, Jordan, which we flew out of, or in Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, My brother is a pilot for a major airline, which I won't name, and he and his fellow workers are so mad because they never see the dark-skinned foreign males or anybody else being pulled out of line. The last one he got so mad about was a 60-year-old white lady that, that... almost had a breakdown because they pulled her out of line and and did this same thing to her. So I'm seeing just the exact opposite personal, you know, personal, whatever you want to call it, experience. Uh, This is not the case. And the people that were being pulled out of line in Atlanta all look just like me. So were you taken to a holding facility? No, and I didn't see anybody else taken out of line those last two trips to a holding facility. There were some taken to small cubicles, but you could actually see in the cubicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nobody taken away at any of those three airports here in the United States, either the trip to Israel or the, the trip to Florida last past summer. But each and every time, that's that's going and coming. I was pulled out of line, you know, with my current police ID and police badge, and not only me was searched individually – my luggage was gone through with a fine-tooth comb. Do you, um, do you think that you're on the terrorist watch list? or No, because be, I wouldn't have been allowed to fly overseas if I'd been on any kind of watch list. Well, there's a watch uh, list and there's a no-fly list. Apparently, the watch list is a million people strong. The no-fly list is significantly smaller, but the people on the no-fly list can't fly, period. The watch list, they just keep an eye on. Well, when I confronted one of the guys, when I finally, you know, I was mad about it every time, but you smile and grin and bear it because there's sure. not much you can do. But I actually confronted one of the guys this, this, on this last trip to Florida last summer. And I said, why in the world am I getting jerked out of line when people that, you know, we, you know, since 72 when the first terrorism that we know of started, it's all been young Arab males. And I said, why are you pulling out a, you know, middle-aged white guy, blonde-haired, fair-skinned, and why have I been singled out? He's all, it's all random. I said, well, gee, it's awful funny that every time I fly somewhere, I'm randomly jerked out of line. And uh, this seems to be a consistent pattern everywhere you go. I mean, we were in Houston Hobby, had a four-hour layover, and we sat there and watched the security uh, uh, booth area that we had just come through do the same thing time after time after time after time. Strange. And at no point did I ever see anybody carried off to this holding cell or interrogation room area that, that – Everybody talks about well, it. Well, I mean, I different airports have different setups. So, I mean, your experience, I'm not discounting it at all. I just think that 
clearly, I, I don't think there's any reason to disbelieve what this lady has said because her story is in line with other stories that have been told that have been very, very similar. And I don't doubt that they're picking on everybody. It's just that she got the impression they were picking on a bunch of Arabs that particular day at that time at JFK Airport. And, you know, it's certainly possible that there are more Arabic people flying into JFK what? than there might be at, at Atlanta or, you know, some of those other places. So who yeah, knows what all the details are there. But either way, we have heard credible stories from people that, you know, aren't just nobody uh, in the past about how they were harassed and treated, and you're one of them. I mean, so well, they're, let, they're... Me, let me let me add this real quick before I get off, and I'm, I'm yes, going to enjoy listening to the rest of the show. I actually saw in the Houston airport a soldier, obviously a sniper who had specialized equipment that they were going to put his equipment through uh, an up upscale screening process, and he was trying to explain to the supervisor on duty right in front of me that they couldn't do that to the, the equipment. It would ruin some of his stuff. He didn't have any problem with them opening it and looking through it and going through it. Here he is, a soldier in full uniform, being flown to Iraq, private airline, hmm. and they were doing him basically the same way. He were, They were pulling out his bags and were going to specifically go through his bags with whatever they were going to do, and he was saying, well, you can't do that. It's tyranny for everybody, my friend, Absolutely. and everybody's included. Anyway. I don't think that uh, we should be calling for certain people to be targeted. I think what we should be tar- calling for is for the TSA to be wiped out and to get the government the hell out of the airline security To business. do that, you have to, to change the totally foreign agree. policy. Though. Great, yeah. great, great topic, guys. Thanks for the call, oh, Certainly appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Well, I mean, well, that would take a lot of policy I, changing, Mark. I, I do think I did want to point out that the, on the profiling note, Number one, Al-Qaeda is probably smart enough that if the TSA was profiling only Arabs or primarily Arabs, they could probably find a white person who would carry out the mission. I can't imagine it'd be it. that hard. The, the story of Timothy McVeigh is that there's a, you know, there's a third uh, you know, a bomber or whatever out there that was supposedly from the Iraqi government or God knows what. Uh, I mean, there's all that conspiracy stuff right. behind it. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. How would anyone know? Right. But I mean, to, to say not all terrorists are Arabs. I mean, you did have Tim McVeigh. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was Kaczynski is not an Arab name, and uh, you had the the guy who supposedly did the anthrax um, attacks, who I yeah. the name escapes me, but the government worked, bureaucrat. Yeah, he worked for the government, and he was white, I believe. So, yeah, if you profile, you're you're completely defeating the purpose of security. It could be done a lot better if private companies were profiling. They're not subject to political pressure, and they're probably going to do a more objective and better job. With less intrusion on most passengers, right? Because I think that that's the that's the worst thing about the the TSA and and uh, you know customs the way they've changed is that they've just they've gotten to the point that they're just scaring people away. They don't want you know they're making the the experience so awful that people don't want to fly. And the fact is, uh, you know, uh, since nine eleven, uh, international t- uh, tourism's down a great deal. Now maybe it's because uh, you know we had some problems, but it doesn't seem to be down from elsewhere. Uh, you know, the rest of the world isn't dealing with it, and our, our our bureaucracies clamp down, and I I've got to say that I think that a good deal of it is is just from the increase in, you know, looking into people's crap and treat them, treating them bad. Let's continue with your calls on screen to the amp line. Hello, hello, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, amp line. Yeah, this is uh, Christian Anarchist. How yes, you doing? Gene, you're on the air. I wanted I wanted to talk about security, airport security, because I've uh, had a little bit of experience going through these clowns. Okay, sure. And I think the confusion rises from the fact that there's actually three separate screenings that you go through international. One of them would be your airport screening, your airport security. That's where you go through the metal detector and all that stuff. Okay. Then 
when you're entering or leaving the country, you have two other screenings. You have a customs screening, which is where you go through the customs guides. Actually, this is just coming into the country. But the other screening is the Homeland Security guide. So the hmm. airport security people would be the ones that would take you aside into the little cubicles and check for bombs and weapons and all that stuff. Okay. But uh, the immigration people or the, uh, the customs people and the Homeland Security people, either one of those could pull you aside to a separate interrogation room and uh, could detain you, and you could just disappear and wind up in Guantanamo, really, if you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, if they wanted to do it. So you're so, telling me they actually uh, is, that, that Homeland Security is, I mean, we know that the TSA is part of their Homeland Security bureaucracy, but you're saying they actually have Homeland Security cops there? Well, I believe it would be the, immigra- the la immigration cops. I see. But they're Ice. part of the Homeland Security, and so they're considered part of that branch. What a nightmare. So it's just awful. It's just yeah. awful what's happening to these people. I'm glad you clarified that. And, Gene, thank you for the call. 800-259-9231. And as you said, Mark, it is resulting in fewer people coming here. And fewer people coming here means the economy is going to slow down, especially in those yes. industries, especially for those industries that deal with those kinds of businesses, hotels and that sort of thing. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, and if you like the show and want to help support Free Talk Live, you can become a Free Talk Live amplifier and get access uh, get access to a few perks like the amp-only call-in lines, chat room, forum, and more. Go to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about it. The purpose is to advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live. That's what AMP stands for. And the idea is that we take three bucks a month from you, reinvest it into the show, get on more radio stations around the country and around the world even as well as bringing new Internet listeners to the program. So it's a great way to bring new uh, new people to the message of freedom, and you can help us out by becoming an amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com. Let's continue with your calls. Alex in Tennessee, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Alex. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's on your uh, mind? I, I want to make a point about uh, as freedom lovers are the language we use to communicate. Yes, sir. And I think that we can make the government look as ridiculous as possible. And I got this example from uh, Stefan Molyneux's podcast uh, at uh, freedomainradio.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used, instead of the word immigration, he used moving. And I think if we frame it like that, I mean, how ridiculous would it seem if you were forced to hire a lawyer to move to the next town over? <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty I ridiculous, think, yeah. And Illegal think, uh, movers. I'm really interested in this. Uh, this um, how, what we can do to use our language, use a uh, change of wording to make. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like because I don't like the idea of uh, using the state's language, and that is essentially kind of replacing the state's term, which is immigration, with a more realistic term that is uh, moving. I like that idea. What do you guys think yep. of it? I mean, you guys are sort of. I, I, I'm, I'm still mulling it over. It it seems. It seems kind of clumsy, the moving police. You know, I think that that might uh, throw people off a little bit uh, in that, you know, moving. I, well, maybe, I you, maybe you'll use it when somebody brings up the term immigration. You say, oh, you maybe, mean people moving here? Maybe control over movement. Hmm. I mean, it's a good idea. I think it's, uh, it's I think, I think it has some it's merit. a good brainstorm. Nick, your thoughts? 
Um, I think it's a good place to start. I think you could develop it more. And I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of exactly how. Yeah. But I kind of agree with Mark that it does, that particular example, I get what you're trying to do. And I think it's a good direction to try to go in. But like I, prefer I think to say, it's, it's kind of clumsy. Yeah. I prefer to say government school, um, and you know this is Ian's basically Ian's thing uh, originally. But oh, I borrowed it from somebody else. Government school over uh, public. <laughs> Nothing school. I say is original. <laughs> so thank you for the idea. Any other suggestions? Nope, that's it. Thanks, Alex, for the call. Let's talk to Hollis in Missouri. Hollis, you are on Free Talk Live. Hey guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Oh well, uh, I was just sitting down uh, watching uh, Spider-Man the other day, and I thought um, this movie would not be very great. And I would not idolize Spider-Man if he was going around and uh, beating people up for parking tickets and throwing people out of their houses <laughs> because they didn't pay property taxes. Government man, government man. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, it's just, I mean, you think of Spider-Man as the good guy, but if you uh, had him do the government's job, you'd say, wow, he's pretty much a slime ball. Well, that's what we would say, but I just had this I had this meeting today with one of the city bureaucrats because I had, as you know if you've been listening to the program, I wrote them a letter asking a bunch of questions about the nature of government and actually managed to get a meeting scheduled with one of them today and of course he blathered on for quite a long time answering the questions when he was asked and never really gave a responsive answer in in many cases but uh you could really kind of get into his mindset and the mindset of these people is that well this is what the community wants we're doing what the community wants us to do they've got their rep- you know representatives they've elected and it's not stealing it's uh you know it's for the common good is it possible that the community could steal apparently not no i mean when you use terms like stealing and theft uh with with People like these government bureaucrats, they just blow it off and they say, well, we wouldn't use that term. And then they go on and they, they describe how it is they're going to steal your stuff, but they'll call it something else. You know, They'll call it something different. It's justified because they've got their laws, which is just words on paper. But they're so immersed and so uh, – they believe in the system so much. I mean, after all, it is their bread and butter. Uh, it's just nothing we say is persuasive to them. This is their life. It's their reality. And they're yeah. willing to hurt us if we don't agree with their their uh, interpretation of reality. Yeah, I mean, it's like some some guy. Uh, if you're talking to someone and you say, "Well, that's a nice dolphin over there," and then they go, "Oh, well, I prefer to call it a porpoise." Mm. And yeah. instead, uh, like taxing and uh, stealing. I, I'd like to get. I'd like to be able to to deal with somebody, uh, a government bureaucrat that could talk to me on that level, porpoise, dolphin level. But in fact, they look. They seem to look at the dolphins and call them hamsters. <laughs> I mean, they don't even get close. Anything, I guess so. Anything else on your mind tonight, Hollis? No, that's it. Thanks for the call, dude. Appreciate it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. So I mean, I, I think that to, to, you know, um, to some extent, you know, that I wrote that letter to the uh, the, the town where I live. Yeah. I, that's one of the reasons that I went through and I actually defined the term stealing. Here's something that we can, you know, here's a, here's the, the definition of stealing that I'm using. Right. Why don't you, you know, see what you think about this de- definition? And you know, basically, um, you know, it would be like you know their 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 interpretation. If you look many many times in the laws, it says unless um law or unless lawful, or if not unlawful or something like that. So basically, they 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 make a little escape hatch that they can steal, they can yeah. murder, they can do whatever as long as it's right. legal. And then it's just part of their lawful process, and they don't consider it stealing. It's like they they have no. They got to take what stealing was. 
um, in, in, you know, in creating the definitions, they took what's, what everyone would, would call stealing, and then they redefined it as, well, any, it, it is stealing except when we do it. So uh, this, apparently, from what I understand, the entire video is going to be posted online, and boy, is it boring. So I don't know why anyone would want to watch it except to just see what these bureaucrats are like when you ask them questions. Uh, you know, the da- very damning questions that you wouldn't think they would want to answer, and I don't know if... You know, I don't know if this guy gave me this time because he knew who I was. It's a city manager here in Keene, and he knew who I was because I'm on the board of the, the Cheshire TV, which is the cable access channel. And so I've, I've, had, I've actually been to meetings with this guy before, so I kind of had a friendly rapport with the guy. And so there wasn't, you know, there wasn't vitriol or hate going back and forth. It re- was really a, a conversation where he was, I mean, relatively generous with his time. He spent over a half an hour with us uh, in the conference room this afternoon. Answering no questions at all. Well, I mean, (laughs) answering them with very voluminous uh, verbiage and just kind of beating around the bush at what essentially was a threat. I mean, he essentially threatened me when I was talking about... You know well, what would happen if you don't if you don't pay these property taxes, and he said there are going to be consequences. And I said, well, you know, just to let you know, we're going to be bringing more people in here, and there's a good chance that more people are going to believe as I do and not want to cooperate. And all he could really say was, well, okay, you, bring you know, it on. Yeah, I mean, ding, the, ding. he acknowledged that uh, the people in the past. I wouldn't had, want to be in the fight against him. I, yeah. Honestly, it's you know. It, it's the, You've got so much to lose when you're talking about property taxes. You're talking about your house, your largest investment ever for most Americans. Even though he acknowledged that it was my property, which I own in full, no mortgage here, even though he acknowledged that and said it was my property very explicitly, somehow there's some magical thing that happens when I don't pay their arbitrary property tax bills that they send me that grants them the authority to sell my house right out from under me. And there's just there's no really explaining and that's the their thing viewpoint. about that um, in, in in the confiscation of your property they don't even have to come to your house no you they know? just sell it they just sell it and then some and then it's someone else's problem and then they bring the police because there's somebody in their house right so it it oh, I I just I, they they have rigged it so that uh, yep. they never have to take responsibility for their violence yep and people look at them and when they do these things to people they're you know the government people look like Spider-Man. They they've managed to get the kind of PR with the the people in the area that they believe they need this government around. That anybody that challenges the government is the bad guy, and whatever the government does to those challengers is completely acceptable. Whether it's kick them out of their homes, put them in jail cells, whatever they get, they get cheered on when they do these. We things. had a guy call on Saturday when we were talking about a gentleman who uh, got kicked out of his house. Uh, you know, actually they had his, they burned his house down. Excuse me, kicked it out. Kicked out um, wasn't the, the right term when they set the place on fire. And, you know, the guy's like, I don't understand why you consider this a big deal. You've got to pay your property taxes. And, you know, we went through it. I I tried to uh, explain to him, look, government can be wrong. I asked him about Nazis. I asked him about slavery. I asked him about the Indians. And he's like, we took care of those problems. We took care of those problems. There couldn't possibly be another thing that government is doing that is evil, bad or wrong, because we've taken care of all the bad problems. It was just absolutely uh, my question. Uh, you know, at, uh, it, <laughs> if you were one of the people that the government was treating badly, then would you have had the right not to participate, not to cooperate? Good question. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the number. Hour number two is on the way. Coming up, follow up story. We told you about the Postville raid when the government bureaucrats, the ICE people, immigration, customs enforcement. 
went in and arrested hundreds of people on this whole immigration or moving issue. What happened to Postville, the town? What's it like now after the raid? We'll find out. Free Talk Live. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney. Finalized a contract in London and demoed our new product in Boston. Online from my desk with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam too. Remember that code 600 to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try. Free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. W-E-B-E-X.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Yeah. So I got this email here from a young lady that listens to the program, she would like to remain anonymous, but she wanted to share with us something she wrote to one of her so-called representatives about her experience with the police. And here it is. She says, this is a complaint and a request for advice. My boyfriend was recently arrested. The problem here is he was borrowing my vehicle at the time. As thankful as I am that the police didn't decide to take my car, they did end up taking a lot of things inside of it, like my laptop, phone charger, AC adapter, car keys, etc. Now, I understand that by law, even though I disagree with it, the police may search a vehicle if the person who's currently using it has has reason to be arrested. My complaint is that the things they took out of the vehicle weren't even his. The police station told me I'd be able to get my belongings back if he were to fill out a property release form. Now, unfortunately, no matter how many times he has asked, they still have not let him do that. I'm pretty sure it doesn't take much effort to give someone a few pieces of paper and a pencil, pen, marker, charcoal, crayon, or anything to write with. It's critical that I get my belongings back. Some reasons for this are the fact that most of my schoolwork, reports, resume, applications, pins, passwords, personal artwork, etc. are all on my laptop. And another example is my keys. These are many. Uh, there are many keys on that ring that I don't have any other copies of, and it's ridiculous that I have to wait so long in order to get them back. Why is this bureaucratic system unable to do the simplest things, like hand someone a piece of paper and a writing utensil? Well, because they don't have to, right? I mean, that's the answer, isn't it? Why, why would they bother caring about your predicament or your situation? It's not like you can stop paying property taxes, as I, you know, talked to this uh, bureaucrat today. We don't have customer service for lawbreakers. Right. I mean, the, these city people, these government people, it's their system, uh, whether you like it or not. And they can treat you however they want to treat you, and they can charge you whatever arbitrary fines or tax amounts that they want to charge you. Well, when it comes to taxes, uh, you know, there's usually a millage amount. There's a millage amount. It's arbitrarily I mean, set, though. 
Well, it's otherwise everybody would have the same millage amount, but yet the city of Keene, where we live or I live here in New Hampshire, has the second highest millage rate of the entire state. But it, I understand that, but it's it's set by the voters of Keene to some extent. It's set by the the people that are calling themselves the Keene government. The voters some of Keene don't vote on that. Stuff. Some of the uh, um, you know some of the, the money that's spent by uh, the town, the city of Keene is is set by the voters, and some of it's done by the city council. I think it's only on the uh, the school thing that the voters have any input to budgetary things. Otherwise, it's all city council stuff. Okay. But anyway, uh, either way, the answer to our question is... The school is, is by the way, uh, more than half of the... Uh, 60%. Yeah, taxes. Uh, so either way, the answer to her question, which she won't get from the bureaucrats, is if she even gets an answer, is because they can. It's not a very satisfying answer. Yeah, because they don't have to do anything else. Because if you don't like it too bad, you still have to pay them anyway. And they know that. They inherently know that whatever it is they do, however nastily they treat you, next year you're going to cut them another check. Either that or they take your house away. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, I was telling, la- talking last hour, for those just tuning in, that uh, today I spent about mm, yeah, 45 minutes sitting in a meeting with the city manager here in Keene. And while most of his answers were relatively roundabout and lengthy and verbose, there were some that he was pretty uh, straightforward on, and I have to give the guy credit. I mean, most bureaucrats probably wouldn't have given us the time of day or certainly sat down to answer as many questions as we had for him. But one of the ones I caught him on was I actually asked him if he'd actually read the New Hampshire Constitution. And that's one he actually went you – know, did not spend long answering. He said he had not. Uh, not read most, most of it. But I he said, took a, an oath to uh, uphold it. I don't know. Does the I city bet, manager I bet you swear they all that? do. I would imagine that they all I take think, an oath. I, I think in many places it's common for people at the city level to swear an oath to the U.S. Constitution. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if they swore an oath to uphold the constitution of their state. Well, yes, I'm pretty sure you can actually pull up the New Hampshire oath, and I believe it it references the uh, federal government and the New Hampshire Constitution. But I know for a fact that that at least elected people have to swear that oath, but I'm not sure about paid bureaucrats. That's be, that would be a question for somebody that knows more about the political system here uh, to, to answer. And if you want, 800-259-9231. But, but at least to answer that, he said he's, he's looked at, I think he said he looked at some of it. And again, this just happened today. I haven't had a chance to review the tape, so I'm not real firm on all that transpired. But then I asked him, I, oh, I said, well, that's okay. I haven't read the whole thing either, but I have read the first sentence. Have you read the very beginning of the Constitution? And he admitted he had not. So I've read more of the New Hampshire Constitution than the man managing the city of Keene. Swell. Anyway, it was about the whole cons- it was about the whole consent of the governed thing, and he had some roundabout answer for that. Sure. Uh, right. You consented when you walked into the place. That was the basically it. Yeah. So uh, let's continue with Ashley or wait, whoever her name is. Email. <laughs> Didn't say where she lived, though. Anyway, the police get a pretty hefty budget from the money that's stolen from this country's citizens. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to return me my property. I don't care uh, much as to why they decided to take it. The only thing that matters is that the items are mine, regardless of where they were or what they were being used for at the time. It's theft, regardless of who you are, even if someone is a police officer. Well, as I learned this afternoon, it's apparently not theft because they don't call it theft. And they're the ones with the guns, so if they decide it's not theft, then hey, it's, it's barely not theft. She says, I didn't sign an agreement granting them authority over myself and certainly not over anyone else. That would be impossible. I can't grant someone authority that I don't have myself, and neither can anyone else, contrary to what much of this country's government believes. The police station isn't very helpful. Either no one answers the phone or they just say the same thing. The inmate must fill out a property release form first. Then it will take one to three days. 
This response is in no way helpful. There's no one non-biased at a police station to monitor it, so they seem to be able to just slack off as much as they want. For a service I'm being forced to pay for, they do a horrible job and provide not so great a quality of customer service. If the police, here especially, were a private security company, they would have already been put out of business. The security company I worked for formerly could have done things much better. Why, you ask? Because it's a private company who doesn't get their funds by stealing from others. That means they actually have to work hard and do a good job in order to stay in business. Wow, that means they actually get things done. Here's a small story that my boyfriend told me of when he was in holding. There was supposedly an older man in there with him who had a heart condition. It took the police so long to get things done that the man had a heart attack when he should have been taken to the hospital. Why is whatever they had to do more important than someone's health or life? Now, with today's technology, why is it that they took so long to do this? Computers are faster than ever. Most people can type much faster than they can write. Files can be sent across the world within seconds. Label machines make it quick and easy to label evidence. Also, after being a former security officer and having to write plenty of reports, I know for a fact it doesn't take hours to write one. I have in the past written de- detailed reports of incidents, listed all items in detail, all the way down to the measurements, drew detailed and labeled diagrams, all in the same report, and never did it take me that long. So, she asked a few questions of her so-called representative. Do you have any suggestions on how to retrieve my items? Do you have any answers as to why it takes so long for police to get anything done at the station? What are your views on the subject? Do you believe that it's okay to steal another person's property? Do you believe that someone should be able to use force on a person who has not harmed anyone? What gives the police the authority to do things such as this? Isn't the government a contract between it and the people? I never signed a contract. I thought that government I thought that government had to have the consent of the governed. And by the way, the city manager didn't really didn't really get that concept too much, the whole consent, consent of the government. No, why would he? Yeah. That would that would have threatened his <laughs> livelihood. She says, I do not consent. America no longer seems to be the land of the free, with the police constantly saying, I'm just doing my job and asking for identification and papers. America is now becoming the modern-day land of Nazis and oppression. At this rate, I, wouldn't be, I would not be in this country any longer if I could afford it. Two wolves and a sheep deciding what is for dinner is not the kind of government that's suitable for people who like to take responsibility for their own lives instead of letting other people run it. Thanks very much for the time, or taking the time to read this email. I look forward to your response. Nick? Well, I do want to touch on this consent of the governed thing, because when the, the framers of the Constitution used it, they used it in a way in parallel with what they said, setting up a government. They seem to imply that it's either a consent of the majority or a consent of a supermajority, but they set up a system in which a certain proportion of the people can make decisions for the whole. So they obviously weren't thinking about it as unanimous consent. More on the way here. You can take control. 800-259-9231. Bring up what you want. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial in via the toll-free number. Brought to you by SACL CAI, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, including the bulletin board system. You can get interactive with over 375,000 posts. 
There's a lot to talk about over there on the BBS. Go to bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. A new online store featuring whimsical decorative knobs and pulls is open for business. Funknobs.com is catered towards customers looking to give their playroom, kids' room, bathroom, or even kitchen a unique and fun flair. Toll-free customer service is also available at 877-820-9224. It's funknobs.com. It's the creation of the parent company, internobs.com, online service since 2004. All right, 1-800-259-9231. Nick, you were making some comments about the whole idea of the government being by the consent of the governed, and you didn't have much time to do it, so I want to make sure you can expound on those. But before you do, let me read Article 1 briefly, which is very brief, so like one sentence, of the New Hampshire Constitution. And I, from what I understand, there's similar language in other constitutions, but I, I can't say for there sure. There just isn't the the word consent in in uh, the United States Constitution unfortunately so it's not as good of an example this one says all it is men, however in the uh, declaration of independence this is the first sentence of uh, the bill of rights in the new hampshire's constitution all men are born equally free and independent therefore all government of right originates from the people is founded in consent and instituted for the general good so i don't hear any sort of uh, that sounds very individual modifiers to that they're not saying it's i'm not saying that they actually believed uh, you know that uh, yes they set up a system <laughs> where it's clearly they're talking about the consent of the majority of the people but that first sentence is darn so, individual so with well, that in mind nick go ahead with that probably wasn't the intention of the sentence because they set up a government and if they were voluntarists i don't think they would have set up a limited lockean state that's what i'm saying is they were setting up a government with that document probably implies that they weren't setting up a voluntarist anarchist system (laughs) because they were setting up a government with the document where they supposedly wrote that everyone has to consent that's what i'm saying is they were using consent probably Maybe as an ideal that everyone right. would consent. They were, they were using it uh, sort of like 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 I do. I'll I'll uh, advocate uh, personal responsibility. The government shouldn't be uh, stealing from people, consent, and all those other things until it comes down to things like roads and cops. Um, and at which point I'm like, whoa, hey, let's just back off just a second. Right. So I I think what they were trying to do was use the consent of the individual as a guiding principle. Uh, if you read a lot of the writings from the time period by the people who are writing these documents, um, what the, they, they thought the government should be limited and should have as little control over the citizens' lives as possible, but they weren't saying that it should have no authority over them. And unfortunately, they set so. up a government that uh, apparently can bust out of it the, uh, the bonds that they tried to put it in, and uh, you know they, they, there doesn't seem to be any responsibility for the, uh, the governing well, in, that res- in that case. The one good thing I will say about the New Hampshire Constitution, and it was true of some other ones um, previously, but most of them amended out the part that guaranteed a right to revolution. Um, so it implies, at least they're implying that government can become corrupted or overbearing. Um, so they are saying that the people, and again, it's kind of a... It's nebulous. Are they talking about a majority of the people or just some people? But they are saying that in certain circumstances, the people have the right to overthrow the government and a responsibility to do so. And 
either create a new one or or not. But <laughs> but unfortunately, well, in the process, there's a chance they'll, they'll steal your house from you. Right. Well, right. That's and, what and I found also, out we today. had Gardner Goldsmith on the show last night, and he's a bit more of a, an expert in uh, all, all oh, things constitutional yeah. than, uh, well, the three of us combined. And he had said that there was a, a provision in the uh, New Hampshire Constitution that prevented them from taking, was it school funds or some funds for something in particular that sounds really good, you know, the the the, the the baby fund oh. or whatever, um, and in fact they are taking the funds out of that. Uh, well, you know. I, yeah. I know like for they're supposed to take all the the revenue generated by tickets, for instance, and use it only for maintenance of the roads and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was roads. roads. Um, so, which I'm not so sure that they actually stick to. Yeah, I, they're not. Yeah. So um, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah, they don't follow their own piece of paperwork that establish supposedly establishes. And what do you do? You, you pay money in order to file a lawsuit against these people, and they don't pay anything. No, and their gang and their gang members, the government people themselves, don't even understand the system that they work in. As I said, I did. Get they understand some they can do whatever the hell they want, that as long true. as their boss says it's okay. Right, and the boss doesn't even understand what the system is. Uh, hasn't they, read the Constitution right, according to the guy today. <laughs> he admittedly has not read the the New Hampshire Constitution. I doubt. I doubt he's read the U.S. Constitution. And he uh, not only has he not read the New Hampshire Constitution, but he also told me that he thought that the federal government grants the states power. He thought that the government essentially that like the states. Yeah, they do believe that, and but it's 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 a mistake, and it just goes to show that these city managers and all these kind of people with these great big degrees don't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. This is the United States of America. The states, in fact, created the federal government. They signed and ratified wow. the Constitution. Thirteen of the states created the federal That's, government. The federal government, but then sort the rest, of of, the, rest the rest of the people sort of opted in. Uh, you know, that, I yeah, mean, after the government went, took the land and said, this is, you know, part of the United States, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I happen to be yeah. in one of those 13 states. I will, uh, speak, <laughs> I will speak as, uh, as a, as a, a revolution, revolutionary yeah. founding father. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, when I get a chance to review the, the video, if there's anything worthwhile, I'll share it. I'll be more specific about what this guy said. But for the most part, it was just a bunch of gobbledygook. Just an excuse. Just making excuses for hurting people. And for stealing people's houses from them, so I still stand by the, uh, I still stand by my position that uh, non-cooperation is the way to go. I mean, he did spend some of his time trying to convince us that we should work within the system, and he really wants us to pay property taxes because he doesn't want to have to throw somebody out of their house. Right. He doesn't. Wa- he just wants his, uh, you know, three or four or five thousand dollars a year. He doesn't want to, you know, have to go through the trouble of of the house and the and the bad PR that goes with it. Exactly. And I told him about that. I said, you know, what? There's a chance more people are going to come here, and then you may have to throw a bunch of people out under the, you know, out of their homes. I mean, what are you going to do in that case? I, I let it. I let him know that this was not going to end here. Like this is just the very beginning of what's going to happen. Well, have they said they might kick you out of your home? Because my understanding is that at least in the city of Keene because different towns and cities here in New Hampshire do it differently. My understanding, from what I've heard, is that Keene doesn't actually kick you out of your home. They'll just put no, they sell the house. It. He said there would be consequences. What happens was, is, the terminology and the used. consequences, we did talk about the process of what happens. And so after three years, that's how it's the way this works in New Hampshire. It might be different where you live. But after three years, they then have the ability to take an action. Now, they could just choose to not do anything. They could choose to just let you not pay and ignore you. So they have that option, but they also have the option to start the uh, the tax sale process, 
wherein if you owe X in taxes, they sell your house from under you, and they use the proceeds to pay whatever their so-called uh, bill is, whatever you owe or they believe that you owe. And then what do they do with it? And then the they room? give you, allegedly, as the owner, the rest of uh, the money from Swell. the sale. So at that point, then, your house is sold to some new owner. And not likely at a, at, at a premium price, that's for sure. Yeah. So then the new owner could come in and, as you are occupying his home, have you kicked out. But what if you have a lease? What if you, uh, you know, like have a corporation leasing your house from you? Well, that would be like a 99-year lease that's all been paid in advance. Is that a possibility? Does I, somebody know it, something about real estate? Generally, they have to uh, honor the leases that were in place. Generally, the they do. I wonder about that approach. More on the way. Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free. Wiki is included, over 1,700 pages created by listeners just like you. You can go to wiki.freetalklive.com and get interactive. It's like the listener-editable version of our website. It, again, is wiki.freetalklive.com. Travel less and meet online. Try WebEx free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600 to start your free trial of WebEx. That's WebEx. W-E-B-E-X.com. Promo code is 600. That lets you start your free trial of WebEx today. 800-259-9231. So let's talk immigration. And what happened after the Postville raid? We did tell you about this when it went down where hundreds of immigrants or travelers, movers as our caller earlier suggested, were arrested and taken into federal custody over this whole immigration insanity that's sweeping across the country and leaving a trail of wreckage behind it. Because you can't just go and take 300 or 400 people. I don't have the number in front of me, but you can't just go and snatch up hundreds of people, especially from a relatively small town, and expect it all to happen in a vacuum and everything to just be fine. The next they say day. that twenty uh, percent, the civilization um, will will come apart with a loss of twenty percent of the uh, that right? the, the people. You know, like in a, in a plague situation or something like yeah. that. And I think that the government could be, uh, you know, paralleled to a plague. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. So let's tell you the story here. This from the Associated Press. A vague unease whispered through this tiny town in northeastern Iowa, where the rolling hills are sturdy and are, stu- are a study in vivid colors. Red barns, white clapboard houses, and vibrant green cornfields plowed with almost architectural precision. It drifted through Postville's downtown, where restaurants serving tamales share three short blocks with El Vaquero Clothing Store, a kosher food market, the cowboy? and the Spice and Ice Liquor and Redemption Store. It nagged at Irma Rucal that Monday morning after Mother's Day weekend as the Guatemalan immigrant worked her regular shift salting chickens at agriprocessors, the world's largest kosher meatpacking plant and Postville's biggest employer. Then, just after 10 a.m., that insistent murmur burst to the surface with a frantic shout, La migra, salvese el que pueda, immigration, save yourself if you can. 
The bulk of the plant's 900 workers, mostly Guatemalan and Mexican immigrants, dashed outdoors, through hallways and into corners, trying to escape federal agents conducting what would be the largest immigration raid in U.S. history. Outside the plant, Postville Mayor Robert Penrod alerted just before the raid gasped at the sight of helicopters, buses, vans, and armed immigration agents. Oh my God, we have a big problem here, Penrod thought, and cursed softly to himself. A few blocks away at St. Bridget's Catholic Church, the sanctuary quickly overflowed with the terrified children and spouses of the detained workers. They lined the simple wooden pews and prayed at an altar decorated with, the, with an image of the Virgin of Guadalupe, Mexico's patron saint. For years, even decades, these Mexican and Guatemalan families had called, post, called Postville home. Here, in a place first settled by German and Norwegian Lutherans and Irish Catholics more than 150 years ago, Hispanic immigrants were raising their children, buying houses, and building businesses. Like the Hasidic Jews who came to the town in 1987 to open the meatpacking plant, and the Eastern Europeans who first made up the first band of, who made up the first band of workers there, the influx of Guatemalans and Mexicans had both buffeted and bolstered this quiet community until it reached a new cultural equilibrium. In time, the newcomers became part of the fabric of Postville, which proudly bills itself as hometown to the world. Now they were clustered in hiding or being herded away in handcuffs by immigration agents. Officials of the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, said they should not be faulted for carrying out the law and guarding against identity theft. We're just doing our jobs. And yet Sister Mary McCauley, the pastoral administrator at St. Bridget's, said the lament of one longtime resident surveying the chaos unleashed by the raid summed up the thoughts of many. Sister, a real terrible thing has happened to our town. It was as if a tornado had whipped through the town or a flood had swallowed up houses. A disaster, man-made, but a disaster all the same. Three months after the raid, that's how many in Postville described the events of May 12th. Lives disrupted, people pushed out of jobs and homes. Children separated from parents. Mm. Businesses verging toward collapse. And as in any small town swept by disaster, the community quickly banded together to help the victims. In the days following the raid, donations of food, clothing, and money poured into St. Bridget's, which became a sanctuary to nearly 400 immigrants, and to the local food pantry flocked by families in need. Red ribbons, symbolizing support for the detained workers, still flutter from lampposts and tree trunks. A sign on one front lawn near the agriprocessor's plant declares, Immigrants Welcome. Bienvenidos. We've got a lot of people here who need help. We can't just throw them out on the street, said the silver-haired mayor. They're our family. They've made their homes here, had jobs here, and raised families here. As with the disaster, the initial mobilization had been followed by shifting emotions. Quiet anger at the federal government's actions, outrage at allegations of abusive working conditions at the plant, and above all, worry. The entire town seems weighed down by worry and a bone-deep weariness these days. At a recent Sunday sermon in St. Bridget's where the pastor, Reverend Richard Gall, likened the need to help feed immigrant families to the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Inside Sabor Latino, where owner Juan Figuera, 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 well, whatever, whatever, eyed empty tables and sadly considered closing the Mexican grocery store next door. In Club 51, the town bar where a jar of pickled eggs sits on the counter and regulars, <laughs> regulars jokingly count down the minutes to the big old fish segment on the local news. On a recent weekday evening, some longtime agriprocessor workers downed cold beers and quietly fretted about the raid's effect on the plant and the, new stream of, and the stream of new people arriving in town. Postville has lost more than one-fourth of its pre-raid population of 2,300, including 389 agriprocessors workers who were detained by immigration officials and scores more who have fled or gone into hiding. About 60 workers, mostly women with small children, were released on humanitarian grounds pending court dates. 
Of those, 40 to 45 were required to wear black electronic monitoring bracelets, leaving them unable to work or to leave. The Mexican and Guatemalan families who once pushed strollers along the streets or frequented the downtown stores and restaurants now try to stay out of sight. In their place are newcomers drawn, as they were, by reports of job openings at the agriprocessors or recruited by labor agencies contracted by the plant. Many of the new workers are Somali men who keep to themselves and gather uh, gather to share food and coffee at a storefront on Postville's main drag. The town has been constantly changing. It had opened its heart to change, but now I sense anguish within people, said Macaulay. They're asking, what's going to happen to the town? Do we have the strength to make another adjustment? To be sure, this town with no stoplights, three churches, and one Orthodox Jewish synagogue has weathered its share of change and forged an identity by absorbing successive waves of newcomers who found their way here. First came the uh, Rubashkin family, which bought a defunct meatpacking plant on the edge of town and opened agriprocessors, a small community of Hasidic Jews from the Lubavitcher sect, including rabbis who slaughtered animals according to religious law, followed. Mm. Then came their first group of plant workers, immigrants from Bosnia, Poland, Russia, and former Soviet republics. In the late 1990s, those workers were gradually replaced by Guatemalan and Mexican immigrants. At one time, Postville was home to people from 24 nations speaking 17 languages. The mix of cultures... I guess it is the hometown of the world. ...which might be unremarkable to a larger city is striking in this two-square-mile town set in the middle of cornfields and dairy farms. Hasidic Jews, and, and believe it or not, it worked all the way up until May of 2008 when the, the gum, government goons came into town. These people were going to work. They were using uh, fuel. They were uh, paying rent. They were paying their taxes. They were doing everything that we do. And yep. they were being a, a net benefit to our economy. And you can look. Uh, if, if you don't look at emails and you don't look at hate rhetoric and you actually look at the numbers and you look at the economics of this... These people are a net benefit to the country, even with our current stupid welfare system and our current stupid public school system. I don't feel like any American should be responsible for paying yep. for the education of, uh, of well, honestly, um, anybody, but let alone a, you know, a, a foreign immigrant. I don't feel that they, they're responsible for that. But uh, the fact is they are an economic net benefit to the United States, and we hear illegal or not. these whiners in America, these complainers uh, talking about, oh, our culture's being ruined. Well, what was the culture in Postville? As it says here, there were people from 24 countries speaking well, 17 I, languages there. What's the culture in Postville? You know, I spoke to a uh, gentleman uh, the other day, and I was talking to him about immigration and that kind of thing. And he's basically like, well, you know, I don't mind if they come here and pick fruit and pick our vegetables, because I don't want to see an apple costing $20 in the store. But when they start getting into construction and bidding on jobs and stuff like that, funny, he happened to be in construction. What do you know? It's always protectionism. <sighs> What about what about me? I, I, I consider myself a white fruit picker, and I would like to pick fruit for 125000 a year. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. Just dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231, the Sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. Yeah, Nick. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free on the site, so enjoy those. And if you like Free Talk Live, want to help support the show, shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Enter Amazon through that link. And Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. If you, even if you're buying used items, there are 41 plus categories to shop in. You'll get the brands you trust, great prices, and maybe even free super saver shipping. And you can feel good because Free Talk Live's getting a cut if you enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. So what is it like in Postville, Iowa, after the raid? Maybe you heard earlier this year where almost 400 people 
were arrested and detained by immigration officials, taken out of their lives, stolen away from their wives and children. Of course, many of them were women as well, but stolen away from their families, their livelihoods, just ripped out of the economy of this town uh, called Postville, Iowa. Population was only about 2,300 at the time, so they, they just took out a significant chunk. And they say that, uh, you know, what I've read is that 20%, um, and I don't think it would work in quite this way in the United States, but 20% of the population of a given area that, you know, civilization begins to crumble. Businesses are uh, verging towards collapse. People have been pushed out of their jobs and homes. Children separated from parents. And the federal government goons that did all this, all they have to say for themselves is, I'm well, don't blame me, I'm just doing my job. And we're talking about how the city is uh, its kind of an interesting mix of different cultures. Over the years, it has had people from, you know, Eastern Europe to Western Europe to, uh, you know, now sort of focusing more on Mexicans and Guatemalans. But people come in and they make a little living for themselves and they move out or they stay, whatever. People do different things. And the postal was fine. Everything was fine in Postville. And then the government came in and just destroyed everything. Inside City Hall, municipal notices are posted in English, Spanish, and Hebrew, and a sign lists major Jewish holidays. At Spice and Ice Liquor Store, which once stocked 23 varieties of vodka, the shelves now hold an assortment of Mexican and Guatemalan beer. St. Bridget's Catholic Church offers Saturday Mass in Spanish and provides bilingual church bulletins, hymnals, and prayer books. Huh. People are doing all this on their own, Mark. They're they're not being forced to provide all these alternative kind you know, of cultural. It, it, I, I, I find it I find it uh, sad and jingoist when uh, people say, "Oh, I shouldn't have to push one for English." Yeah, well, it's look, really ignorant. <laughs> if you call my house and I decide that I'm going to speak Spanish on my telephone to you, what are you going to do? You're going to send the federal goons in to kick my teeth in? Hola, Casa del Marc. I, I, I can choose to do that. I was born here, but I can speak a bit of Spanish. I can slaughter the language if I have to. <laughs> and um, are, are you just going to kick my butt? These people are doing business, and they're doing business the way they want to do business. Yep. What, are you going to bring laws in that say you can only do business in English in the United States? They would like that. Look, I'm fine with English being the official language of the United States, and therefore only the, the gov- only government documents are uh, you know printed in in English. But I don't think that uh, yeah, I don't think the government should be nearly as large as it is, and you know nearly as intrusive, and then it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Well, people just need to be able to cross these imaginary lines in the sand without being bothered by people. But until these uh, until these sickos all around this country, which it's a significant percentage of Americans. That believe that immigrants are a problem until they come to understand. It's not just Americans. It's it's the world. The world is racist. Okay. Well, I only see the centric. I think is probably a better terminology. Uh, The the tension is nothing new, but it used to be that the government didn't actually step in. There's always been tension between the groups that were already here and the new people coming in, and it was usually pretty much the same arguments. The newcomers are going to undercut right. the labor market. I was, it, it's really funny, but it, you know, this, is, this was true even before the United States was the United States. Back but when it was a British colony, they, they, they didn't like the, the German farmers that were in Pennsylvania. Uh, Benjamin Franklin actually wrote against them that they're, they're you know, not English. And you know, he was talking out we're against them. Our culture. I was speaking to an Amish gentleman a couple of days ago, and and he said that his ancestor came over in the 1760s. He's blue blood. But we would never call him that in this country because he's not oh, an English blue blood. He's, you know, he's of, of German descent. He's Amish. Hmm. 
Well, now people fear the raid has endangered that carefully calibrated balance of cultures that Postville had. Kim Deering, lifelong Postville resident and owner of the Wishing Well, a downtown home decor and flower shop, says a lot of good workers were taken away and a lot of good families are gone. The community is drained of our giving energy, of wonderful, of wondering rather how long the new people will stay. If it'll be a culture that fits into our community, we're grieving, scared, and apprehensive. They become walking symbols of the raid. Las mujeres con brazaletas, the women with bracelets. They came from Guatemala and Mexico to work grueling 12 to 14 hour days in the agriprocessor's plant, frequently standing in boots in knee-deep water, their hands cramped and swollen from shifts salting chickens or loading meat onto trays. These people work so hard. Yep. They work so hard to feed Americans, to 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 cut our uh, you know grass and to wash our dishes, you know to put uh, roofs on our houses, to construct those houses that we live in. And, and by the way, the the houses then get cheaper because the labor is cheaper right. to produce them. Everything that they work on, they they're willing to work for less, and therefore we all can buy things for less and benefit from it. I think they're heroes personally. But uh, here's the rest of what, the, what these women were doing every day. 12 to 14 hour days, grueling. It's described they earn six dollars to twenty five six and six twenty five to seven twenty five an hour with twenty minute meal breaks, and they say often no overtime pay. But these women, whose faces are now creased with anguish, they say they were happy, happy to be earning enough money to support their families. Happy to be in a place where their children's hopes could bear fruit. It's the American dream. Happy to be carving out lives in a quiet village far from the privation and violence of their hometowns. And May 12th changed all of that. Now about 20 to 25 women remain tethered to the bracelets. Black electronic monitoring devices that dig into the skin of their right ankles, leaving dark bruises and painful cuts. This is how these people are being treated. They're being treated like cattle. They're being treated like animals. They're being treated like something subhuman. And, and the, the whole mentality is, well, because they weren't born here, we're better than them. Because they weren't born here, they're trash. They need to come here and ask us permission before they can come have a and, life in and, this country. And Americans, uh, no American would would, uh, would say it was okay what the, uh, the immigration service does. They don't even know. They just ignore it. They oh no, say, they'd say it's okay. I don't. I think they most don't, of they them, don't. They see these people as subhuman. I They're think, lawbreakers, Mark. They broke the law. I understand that they they under, they believe that the, the but they think that you know you you enter your little form in and then you wait your amount of time and then they call your name up and yeah. then you get to go in and then you wait your amount of time and then you get to become a citizen and that's the way it goes. They don't realize that the 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 paperwork. It, it's regularly. I mean, it's it's the way they do it. Get gets lost all the time. That it, it costs just thousands and thousands of dollars from people who don't have it, can't earn it, um, with immigration attorneys and that kind of thing. That you know, it's just so damn difficult. Well, e- even if it didn't take that long and cost that much, there are, we have a quota system right now, so only a certain number of people can come in from say Mexico in a given right. year. It's I arbitrary. Most, of I course. think most people right. agree with that. Though I think that most uh, most Americans, and I'm not saying it's right, agree that. Uh, there should only be a certain amount of people from each country well, that come in. It's a bunch ma- of crap. It doesn't matter. Well, that's not addressing the problem. You can make it as easy as you want. You can make the process just a lottery where you draw a ticket and you're a citizen. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to make a difference unless you abolish the quotas or significantly right. increase them. Because, because that's if, the issue. If you let a million, if, if you say you're going to let a million people in, but a million and one wants to come in, what's that one guy going to do? He's going to sneak across the damn border. Or he can stay in his country and perhaps, uh, you know, die as a result of being targeted. Starved for, to death. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, and, and they, they believe uh, that the, the, the government actually looks at political uh, refugee kind of situations. Um, that's why Cubans get to stay if they hit the shore. Of course, they try to not let them hit the shore. Right. 
Some of these women who are being monitored by these devices that are destroying their ankles try without success to protect their flesh with makeshift bandages fashioned from bandanas and shorn socks. And the women who happily embraced hard work are forced to subsist on donations from St. Bridget's and the local food pantry while they await court dates. Now, remember, these are only... They can't, they can't go out to work. Right. Right. And these are only the women that they let out for so-called humanitarian reasons. Because they have so, kids. So, yeah. So all the guys that they, they took in, apparently... We're, well, fe- we're feeding to house them. Yeah. We're uh, paying, excuse me, to feed and house them. While they wait, they worry. Not, they say, about their own fates, but what lies ahead for their children. Those born or raised here and those left behind in Guatemala. I'm very nervous, said one. I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know if I have the strength to keep fighting. She said, I wish I could plead with the judge for my children's sake that he would give me a little more time here so my children could continue studying so I could keep working. Without the income from jobs in this country, these mothers say they won't have enough money to send their children to school, to fund dreams of college and careers, and in many cases, even to buy them milk. That's all they want. They want to raise their kids. They want to send them to college. They want to have a good life, just like your ancestors did. And they don't did. expect you to pay for it. They don't. She says this a little bit later. I don't know if we're going to get a chance to get to it, but she talks about how they don't want anyone to do well, anything you, for them. Some of there, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of them that want to come here and live off welfare. I'm sure there are. But if we got rid of welfare, that's the problem. We don't have an immigration problem. We have a welfare problem. And a government we don't have problem. A, yeah, we don't have an immigration problem. We have a public school problem. And she says, you come here with so many plans and illusions that your children will do better than you did. She left her four children in Guatemala when she came to Postville two years ago. During their weekly phone calls, Morales' children proudly share their aspirations with their mother. One son wants to be an architect, and her only daughter plans to become a doctor or a teacher. And if she had been able to actually continue making a living in Postville, they might have been able to afford to do those things. A lot of poor people did that for their kids. 1-800-259-9231. May share more of this with you, but also want to hear from you about whatever's on your mind. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind if you dial in toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Still talking immigration, or as our caller earlier suggested, people that want to move. From one point to another. And what we're specifically discussing is the issue of Postville. Postville, Iowa, small town of, well, what at one time was 2,300, but earlier this year... 25% of them were thrown in jail. Yeah, uh, several hundred, almost 400 men and women were rounded up. And they weren't all Mexicans and Guatemalans. Apparently, some were actually uh, Ukrainian and uh, Israeli as well. So all kinds of so-called illegal immigrants were rounded up and detained, many of them deported. Others of them were sort of let out for what they called humanitarian reasons, but that resulted in them having to wear uh, anklets, ankle bracelets on their legs. And this is not a nice little ankle bracelet. It was digging into their – it digs into these women's flesh, and they can't stop it from doing that. So these poor women aren't able to work. They just have to – 
you know, literally sit around and live off of the uh, the kindness of others. And that was what we were in the middle of talking about last hour was this part of the story that the Associated Press was telling about these women who they came to America because they wanted to send their children to school. One woman left her uh, children back home in Guatemala when she moved to Postville with the hopes of funding their college and uh, helping them get careers. And now they can't do any of that stuff. And she says... That uh, she says that what joy that gives me to hear when she talks to her children on the phone from Guatemala. I see they could have a future when they tell her about all the things they want to do, like her son wanting to be an architect and her daughter wanting to become a doctor. Morales, though, sadness leaving her eyes only to resurface for a moment later when reality returns, says it wounds my soul to think I might not be able to give them what they desire, to think that I might fail them. People like this woman are not coming to America to mooch off of the state. They're coming here to make a better life for themselves and, by proxy, help their children make a better life for themselves. And, by proxy, make the world a better place. It's true. As Morales speaks, the other women sitting on metal chairs arranged in a circle nod their heads, faces downcast. Many of them are single mothers. Others are married to men who are picked up in the raid and are now jailed or deported. All speak of the same concerns and the same confusion. They don't understand why some people disparage them as illegals or criminals. They don't understand why federal officials are pressing criminal identity theft charges against many of the detained immigrants who say they didn't know they were buying stolen information. I wish people could put themselves in our situation for one moment, they say, or one of them said. What would they do if they were poor, if they were in dire need? Wouldn't they risk coming here as well? Asked Maria Ruiz, whose five-year-old son was born in this country. She says, I wish that the hearts of people with hearts of stone, of ice, the people of ice, could be transformed into good hearts. We came here to work, not to do harm to anyone. ICE officials defend the raid, saying the workers were arrested. They were violating immigration laws and committing identity theft. Tim Counts, an ICE spokesman, says, They are serious offenses, and we will not apologize for enforcing the nation's laws. If 305 U.S. citizens had committed identity theft and misuse of social security numbers, would people expect us to look the other way? They didn't commit identity theft because they didn't steal the identities. They may have purchased uh, the identities. stolen goods. But mm. at that point, what did, they, what did you, in fact... You didn't receive stolen goods because it's not like it was a stolen driver's license. It was a fake forged driver's license with information that was uh, fraudulently obtained. No, these right. people didn't receive stolen property. They did not, uh, you know, create fake identities. They didn't do any of that. They right. they bought what what they thought were fake identities. And besides, this is a symptom of the Just problem. Just to be able to get by. But 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 the the entire idea of identity theft, the entire reason why it was done in the first place, is it's a symptom of the problem of the immigration laws. If there weren't these immigration laws in the first place, and these folks could just come here as long as they could find a place to work and a place to stay and all that stuff, if they could just come here, they wouldn't need to borrow anybody's identification. They wouldn't need to, to purchase something like that on the black market. So the reason they why didn't even those borrow the identification, though, that's just it's just not a, the right thing to say. But that wouldn't even be happening at all if it weren't for the government creating that problem. So they created all of that. The government people created that with their laws, preventing people ostensibly from coming here. And pushing them into a situation where they need to do things like that in order to, to fly under the radar as much as possible. But, you know, that's, that, ar- that argument's not going to fly with the ICE people. They've got their jobs, and they're doing it. Well, it doesn't matter what happened to those children over there. Who cares if they don't have mothers or fathers anymore? Damn it, there were criminals. Daddy was a criminal, son. No, he wasn't. He loved me. 
Yeah, well, he was a criminal because he broke our laws, our precious, precious laws. It's a nation of laws, you know. Well, anyway, uh, back to the ICE officials. Uh, Tim Counts, ICE spokes bureaucrat, says any disruption, whether to families or communities, should be put at the feet of those who violate the law. Now, wait a minute. Postville was just fine before May 12th. Everything was copacetic. People were getting along just fine with one another. There were different... Uh, right, they were pickling chickens or yeah, whatever the hell they were doing. Different products from different cultures were in the shelves of the various stores in Postville, and nobody needed the federal government to come there and do anything. They were the aggressors. They ruined these people's lives. And to just pawn it off on the fact that, well, they broke the law, so they got what they deserved. It's just thoughtless. It is thoughtless. Sick. It's a lack of critical thinking. Since the raid, revelations about unsafe working conditions at the plant have only served to solidify support for the detained workers and their families. Uh, Investigations uncovered 57 cases of child labor law violations at the facility, which has been cited for numerous safety and health violations. But, you know, that's kind of an aside. Those people were making the choice to work there. And also, there's also another factor here, and that is that because these people are entering the country without going through the regular channels, they have to kind of be very, very cautious about what they can and can't do. And if they cross lines, like if their employer knows that they're not legit, if the employer is aware of that, they can get away with abusing them a little bit. They can get away with uh, not giving them the same kind of treatment that they would give you or I if we went in there to get those jobs. So that could have been a factor in the, the bad working conditions as well. Uh, anyway, the allegations of abuse implied to the families have fueled a growing call for immigration reform from town officials and ordinary folks alike. Principal of the high school says what's happening here is a microcosm of what's happening in the country. If nothing is done, there will be many, many more po- postfills around the country, and that's not healthy for anyone. Without Mexican and Guatemalan children, the 500-student Postville school district could lose a chunk of its student body and along with them extra state funding for the, some of their classes. Without Latino workers, agroprocessors is still operating at only 50% capacity, despite efforts to recruit replacement workers. Outside the plant, now hiring signs have been posted along the roadside. Now, that's sh- that should be all a lot of those uh, people that are against immigration should need to hear. Look, if it's true that there's this line of uh, you know American-born citizens just waiting to get these jobs, then where the hell were they in Postville? They haven't even. They're at fifty percent capacity, and it's now mid-August. This happened three months ago. But that's not. I understand what you're saying. That's not an economically uh, true statement. The fact is, there are lots of people. You and I would quit our jobs in radio for the right amount of money to pluck chickens. I don't know what that right amount of money is, but it's a hell of a lot more than what they're paying people currently to pluck chickens. So there are Americans that will do the job. They just won't do it at the rate that this um, that that it it pays to make sense because. Because, well, they have chickens in other countries, too. And in order to compete against those other countries' chickens, the chicken processing plants in this country need to have labor that makes sense economically. Otherwise, American chickens are going to cost... You know, $20 in the store, and chickens from foreign countries are going to cost 5 I think we just happened to buy chickens, uh, whole chickens yesterday at the store. My wife made her chicken and dumplings, and it was wonderful. So I happen to know what they are. You know, we're just making ourselves uncompetitive even inside our own marketplace. So what do we do? We raise tariffs, and then we become an isolationist country. It's crazy. Well, and with the jobs argument, you can you can point to the fact that machines have taken more jobs from taken more jobs from American workers 
than immigrants. That's Mechanization true. has the reason we don't have a lot of industrial jobs and processing jobs anymore is that robots are doing what people did 20 or 30 years That's ago. Kick the robots point. out. But there are more jobs being created, and contrary to what some people believe, our production capacity in this country has gone up. There's fewer jobs in manufacturing. But the machines make it more efficient. They make the goods cheaper, yeah. and we can make more products. And it's nicer to work in a, on a sales floor or in an air-conditioned air office or something like that. So it's a good thing. Progress is good. But these people, more is coming up. You take control. Bring up what you want. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those, including updates. You get signed up, and we'll let you know whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Uh, go to updates.freetalklive.com and get on the list. I forgot to mention, over the weekend, sent out an update announcing a brand new auction. You can go to auction.freetalklive.com and place your bid on the third banner on our website. You'll get it for an entire month and pretty much be able to advertise whatever you want on there. So go and cash your, uh, place your bid at auction.freetalklive.com. I have been uh, taking for the last, oh, it's going on two and a half weeks now, Dex C20, and I'm losing weight. I have uh, lost more than four pounds as of Friday, and... I, I'm just not eating as much. I can tell I'm not eating as much. It's an appetite suppressant, and it somehow prevents fat molecules from sticking together or something. I didn't entirely understand the science behind it. I do know, however, it's working for me. And if you'd like it to work for you, go to Walgreens, CVS, GNC, those kind of places. Uh, you can pick up a bottle. It's in a gold bottle. It's called Dex C20, or you can go to diet.freetalklive.com. That's diet.freetalklive.com. We're going to get to your calls here in one moment. Just one more sentence here. The final quote from the article, the Associated Press article about what happened in Postville, Iowa, earlier this year as almost 400 people were rounded up and their lives destroyed. The tragedy that was and is that situation, I think, is pretty much summed up by one of the quotes uh, from one of the ladies that was involved in the raid, not as part of the government, but she was rounded up and now is uh, having to live out in Postville with an ankle bracelet, a monitoring uh, bracelet on her at all times, digging into her ankle. Here's what she says. Before, we tolerated everything they did to us at the plant. We worked very hard, but we lived free. Now, we have no work. We are not free, and we have no idea what will happen to us. Let's go to your calls. Jason in Pennsylvania, you are on Free Talk Live. Hello, Jason. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Hey, what's on your mind? I'm a little bummed out after reading that story about the immigrants, but otherwise, all right. What's on your mind? I, I missed the story. I didn't get on the line until uh, just a couple minutes ago here, but uh, I'll listen to it on my podcast later. Very good, sir. Um, Nobody wants to hear your excuses, Jason. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, hey, Ian, I've been listening to your show for quite a long time. Yes, sir. Um, oh, now it's Ian's and, show. Well, uh, all right, I've been it listening to Free Talk Live for a long time. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to Mark's show for a long time, and Ian seems to be the one to um, uh, feel that, that the best way to solve uh, all the problems in society is through contracts. And, I, and it seems that, that that's pretty accurate. Is that correct? I don't know. I, I think that the problems in society are mostly created by government, so I think the solve for problems in society is to abolish the state uh, and replace it with voluntary options, uh, voluntary solutions. I wouldn't think that's inaccurate. 
That sounds like a pretty good but a, I like contracts. estimation of what he and says. I, and, and, and I agree. I think contracts are wonderful. I think they're a great way for people to get their ideas out in the open and, and you know, make things transparent so everybody knows where the other person stands. Okay. My question is, it, it also seems that you're your, your disdain for government, and I have an equal disdain for government, believe me, but it seems that your disdain is, is mostly based on the issue that government is not voluntary. Is that, would that be pretty, pretty accurate? Well, uh, my main uh, issue with government is that they uh, use force on people. But, I mean, certainly uh, they won't let you opt out, so I would like government to be more voluntary, certainly. I mean, if we're going to have people calling themselves government, they should be operating like the rest of the marketplace, and on a, that is on a voluntary basis, as almost everyone else does. So certainly voluntarism is an important factor for me. Okay, so they wouldn't apply force... Um and and they would, they would, the government would be voluntary. So my my question to you is: so what ha- what would happen in in this situation that if uh, when a child turns 18, because before you're 18, you live under the under the uh, care and supervision of your parents. So you know, if if when a child turns 18, uh, the government would come to that child and say, okay, you need to sign our contract in order to be a citizen of this country. And here are the rules that that this contract uh, holds you to. Would that be a solution for you, or would you see that as a continuance of the problem? Well, would because I be able to not sign? Would, would I be able to not sign the contract to continue living my life on, on uh, unmolested by these people? If you don't sign a contract, you cannot live within their boundaries because that government is a is and, and our government is a a. Um, um, an entity that, uh, much like a, an incorporation. That's no like different from today's situation. Right, it's, just it's essentially the same. Now, would it would it be that every essentially every other government would do the, exactly the same thing? Because more or less, governments are the same worldwide. The United States is freer than most countries, but you know it's not as free as others. And some and there's an air, in every area. There's some place that's freer than the United States. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's break it down on the local level. If you had to sign a contract to live. Like you do in in some neighborhoods that have covenants and restrictions, you have to sign a contract to say I agree to abide by your rules. Make sense? Well, yeah. It, it would make sense, but the question is, do do I have to? If I decide I don't want to sign this little contract, um, do you know? Do I go to the next town over? They make me do the same thing. The next town makes me do the same thing because it's kind of like property tax in the United States. What we're to, what Ian's been told by uh, one of the bureaucrats here in town is, well, if you don't like the property taxes, leave. Yep, Keen. He, t- he used what, that one. What, what, he, what he means then. is leave Keene, as though there's no property taxes in Anywhere every <laughs> other municipality in the entire United States. Right. What you're talking about, Jason, is just re wording what it is that's going on today. I mean, yeah, the government doesn't come to you with an agreement and demand your signature. And actually, that'd be a little bit worse, because right now you can have uh, you have the ability to move about relatively undetected. I mean, if you just turn 18 and you decide you want to move somewhere, the government doesn't really know you've done it, especially if you're renting. But uh, if they actually ca- came and presented you with this, you know, take it or leave it agreement, you take it or you leave, then that's a really crappy deal, and it's the exact same deal as we have today. That's what they tell us today. And, and whereas... I, the, I agree. And I before you go on, where, before you go on, whereas the credit reporting agencies could probably find everybody in the United States and get them to sign a contract, um, the government could never, never, never do that. They just don't have the competence. And, and I, I'm not saying it. For, I'm being very facetious. I, under, what I understand. What, what the point I'm trying to point out, though, is that Ian's, Ian's solution to every problem is, well, if it were a free market solution and if contracts were in place or if there, 
if it was based on a contract, and he brings contracts up in, in as, as a solution for almost every problem. I, no, I don't really. Say, I, I don't bring up contracts very often on this program. Sometimes we talk about contract insurance, but no, my usual solution is just to shift to voluntary uh, association. Which would be largely contract-based. But, but no, it wouldn't, not necessarily. Not the, a lot of them are implied... You have to contract uh, with them to provide the service. So well, that's not necessarily true. Contract. I mean, look, when I go to Walmart, I mean, it's expected that I'm going to stop at the front register and do a deal with them when I purchase my products because that's just, you know, that's the way things are done in the voluntary marketplace. When I go to a uh, a restaurant, there's no explicit even you, contract. Even when you go to Walmart and you pay for the the item at the at the register, there's an implied contract, and actually, in a lot of in a lot of businesses, there's a contract written right on the receipt. That's it's, true. It's their return policy. Yes. So there's a contract involved. And what I'm saying is, is that when you talk about contracts being the solution or the replacement for government, I don't think that's any better solution. It's just a, it's a different way of, of having the same. I problem. don't know if you're understanding what I'm getting at. That's I'll why I say smaller government is just better. Hang that's on, all. Jason. I'm going to bring you back here. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Perhaps I have not been communicating effectively on uh, exactly what I mean when I say voluntary solutions as opposed to coercive ones. If they have to involve contracts, then that's your business, but they don't have to. More coming up. Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231. Single CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free. So enjoy those, including the live streams, broadband version and the dial-up version. Both free for you at freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one they do. Collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. 1-800-259-9231. 1-800-259-9231. Continuing here, uh, and we'll maybe get a chance to talk about some child porn issues in the news, including a newspaper that has allegedly published child pornography. <gasps> Heavens no, what is happening? Well, we'll let you know here in a bit. But first, we go back to Jason in Pennsylvania. Now, Jason, uh, you suggested that on this show my solution for everything is contracts, and I'm not sure where you got that idea because I don't think we mention contracts very often on this program. And I think the reason for that is because when you talk about contracts, people, I at least I think, people will get the impression that you're talking about, you know, like a cell phone contract or some long, lengthy agreement that no, no, people would have to no, read I'm through. Not, and I'm not saying that. I think a lot of times you bring up that uh, you would contract with this company to do A, B, or C. You would contract with this company for a protection service. You would contract for this company for um, your um, uh, your rating um, 
you know, you, you would right, contract wanna... with people for lots of different things. Sure, I'd but... like to receive the services on a voluntary basis instead of a coercive basis. And I think that's what's important to focus on here. And, you know, you had sort of suggested, as I understood it, that you didn't think contracts were any better than today's system. And I, I have to say that if it's voluntary, how could that be worse than today's system? That's much better. If people get to, to choose for themselves which agencies to do business with based on a variety of factors in the, in the marketplace, how much, I don't how, think it would be much different than what we have now because everywhere you would go, you would have to have a contract and you would have to sign agreements and you would have to um, find out the rules, find out the laws, find out the regulations, whether it be in the neighborhood uh, you know, with a homeowners association or living in a state that would have its own contracts or living in the country, you know, in, in the United States, you know, there, there would be a a free market contracted organization that would that would be the the larger organization over I mean it's just like government it's, what? it's no, no it's not really. I don't know what I don't Yeah I think the way you were describing it was that there would be governments or agencies calling themselves governments that would have a monopoly over an area and that might hold true for like a a neighborhood association or something like that but not for, say, a state. I mean, it wouldn't work in the way that there would be a group calling itself the state of New Hampshire and they could just claim a monopoly for protection services over an entire area. There'd be competition. I mean, really, that's not really much different than what we have now. Why like, do you think do that's have... not... Wait, hold on now. Why is it that you think that's not different? <laughs> what only, we have only... now is one organization, men and women calling themselves the government, that are willing to hurt you if you don't obey their arbitrary diktats. You don't have the option to consent. You, you just, if, you, if you don't agree with them, you don't follow their rules, then they could come and destroy your life and your property like they did with these immigrants that we were, uh, that we were talking about. What we're proposing, or what I'm proposing at least, is that people should have different uh, marketplace agencies like, you know, Walmart or uh, some other protection agency or Wackenhut or whatever offering a variety of services in the free marketplace and you can pick and choose from whichever one's interest you. If you want to go move into a neighborhood that's very, very restrictive, then that would be your business, but there could be just property that doesn't have any sort of restrictions like that on it. So I don't really understand where, where, you're, where you're coming from. Well, all property would have to be Owned by someone. I mean, there is no property that's owned by no one, right? There is, actually. It's called government property. It is unowned land, and it should be able to be homesteaded by people. But at that point, then, it would be owned by someone. That's correct. So wherever you are, you would have to have contracts, and you would have to be contracted with I, see, yeah. it's, it's this whole thing about there are all these contracts that I think is very confusing to people, and it's confusing me. When I go to Price Chopper to do my grocery shopping, I don't have to sign a waiver when I walk in the door, because Price Chopper wants to make it as easy as possible for me to do business with them. They want me to be able to come in there, use their bathroom if I need to use their bathroom, mosey around the store at whatever rate I want to mosey around it at, and then go check out at their, at their registers, uh, <laughs> Jason. So, in many cases, there are no explicit contracts beyond just what is standard that people do to interact with one another. The marketplace is interested in making it easy for you to do business with them, and the only reason why we have lengthy, awful contracts in this uh, country today is because of government and because they put this litigious sort of uh, society structure.
structure out there where everything you do, you got to check and double check yourself to make sure that you're not breaking some law or could possibly be sued. So that's the reason why contracts are so lengthy and legalistic today is because these companies are just trying to CYA against all the liability they could they could see from uh, from you know people taking them to court. So. No, I think if there would be contracts in the free marketplace, which I think there'd be few of them, I mean, because, again, as I say, you don't need them to go buy gas or to go and do most of the things that you do, they would probably yeah, be easier and shorter. People? You don't think contracts protect people from from each other and from um, you know getting into deals that they don't understand what's going on or they don't agree to or I think know, anything that... you – any major purchase, you've got to have a contract, whether they, it be a house or a car or sure, whatever. Sure, sure. For big purchases, that makes sense. They they may protect people to some extent, but I think there's plenty of people out there that just get into contracts and, and don't know what the hell they're doing, and, and they sign things that they, they don't realize that they're um, you know signing. But that's true, too, and I've often thought about that when, when you guys bring up the, top, the topic. So, but, you know, yeah, what, just, what Ian's trying to say is is that um, he just he would prefer to see a less authoritarian model of government and one that doesn't, you know, punish people in the same way, doesn't allow arbitrary uses of force that I it does totally currently. And, Absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, that's why I go for the model of smaller government makes sense. A nice small that's republic. Kind of where I'm at. Yeah, some people are going to be upset with uh, you know things here and there, but the government should intrude as little as possible on people's lives, and the government that uh, you know governs the least, it governs the best. I, I would agree. There you go, Jason. Hope that helps clear a few things up for you, and I thank you for the call. 800-259-9231. The way he was making it sound is like every which way you turn, somebody's going to be putting a well, contract I, in your face. I, I do have. I mean, I could see how you could have some concern if you thought every area of the country was going to be a restrictive neighborhood, like a gated community, because that's one of the places where you can point now to say these communities function using some kind of a contract. Mm-hmm. But if the entire world, or at least a chunk of it, was functioning that way, not everywhere would be like a gated community. Gated I don't want to live there. No. I, so I, I don't think you'd see neighborhood associations everywhere. I think you'd no. see people who just live in homes in a given city, and, and they just live there without if, any real kind of serious contract. If, maybe they'd make some rules, maybe they wouldn't. Right, and if they want to form a neighborhood association, then they'd have to do that with 100% of the people consenting to whatever the initial uh, rules were. Or they'd have to buy a big piece of land, and then they would be that one person they would, would, be, it. Sure. would be the one hundred percent, and then they'd you know split it up into smaller pieces, and they'd be able to tell people you're not allowed to have rusted out hulks in yeah. your driveway, and you're not allowed to uh, you know shoot off fireworks at three o'clock in the morning, and and I'm sure that there would be some level of uh, you know what in what you're imagining there'd be some level of contract in every community, but. You know, that's just my imagination. Right, but the idea that you'd need to sign a contract in order to buy gas or go grocery shopping or buy a bicycle or do your business, your day-to-day business, is pretty uh, pretty absurd, and I don't think anyone's ever suggested that. I much, think that a receipt is um, a contract it's, it's enough. It's evidence, yeah, it's certainly evidence uh, that a transaction was made, but I don't need to sign a contract to do most of the things in life. And it's nice like that. I like that. Let's continue here. That's that's my biggest uh, problem with this whole get rid of government paradigm that you've got is that it confuses the crap out of people. I don't want to get rid of government. I just want to make it so it's voluntary. How about that? If Better. you want to call it government, then that's your, that's fine. I don't like the term myself because it has a big nasty taste, leaves a big nasty taste in my mouth. So, you know, whatever as, makes you feel As good, I explained Mark. to a gardener last night, yeah. a governor is a device that you put on, say, a, a motorcycle yeah. in order to keep, I it don't from, like that name keep it from going on, uh, you know, going over a certain speed limit. And yeah. you put it on voluntarily. You can enter into governing contracts and enter into governing agreements 
on your own, and those are voluntary forms of government. Yep. Every That's contract true. you have is essentially a voluntary form of government. So government, not a bad word. It's just been used well, horribly. Yeah. It's it's as bad as anarchist, in my opinion. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves and bring up what you want. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial the toll-free number here in these remaining moments. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Now, the features there are free, unlike those other talk show hosts that want to charge you for accessing their site. Go and enjoy on us, and then when you're done enjoying, go vote for the show. Go to vote.freetalklive.com. And we told you earlier this month, when we got to the first place uh, slot at Podcast Alley in this voting competition that goes on monthly, that we weren't going to mention it again until the gap between first and second place closed to less than 25 votes. I think, I think we decided on 50. We were, we were sort of asking about it. Um, 50 is a little close for comfort as far as I'm concerned. Okay, okay. Well, it has gone into... And, and with the thousands of listeners that we have, 50 is really not asking too much. So all I want to do is win by a you know, margin of 50, then a, you know, that way they can't come from behind in the 11... Yeah. Hour. So the second place show is gaining on us, and yep, we, it's within 19 votes. We do need more votes. Uh, so if you have y- if you have yet to vote in the month of August, we need you to go to vote.freetalklive.com. Doesn't matter if you listen online or listen to the radio or whatever. If you haven't voted, we need you. Please, it helps us out. It helps bring new listeners to the program. It impresses the advertisers to see us as the number one podcast. And it's all up to you. We can't do this by ourselves, so we need you to go to vote.freetalklive.com. And if you've already voted this month, just uh, go on your IM client and uh, you know ask five or ten people, hey, could you vote at vote.freetalklive.com? Great idea. Tell them it's quick and easy. All right, Mark. Did you find the story about the uh, child, alleged child porn appearing in a newspaper? From the East Valley Tribune, the Phoenix Police Department is looking into whether it should open a criminal child pornography investigation into photographs shot by a Tempe artist published last week by the Valley newspaper. Expert in the department's sex crimes unit have been... Asked for the uh, opinions of the city, county, and state prosecutors, excuse me, they have asked uh, for those opinions, on whether artist Betsy Schneider, she sounds like a criminal, a deviant, (laughs) a deviant, or the uh, Phoenix News Times newspaper violated any laws by showing artistic nude photographs of Schneider's children in print and online. Phoenix Apparently you are not, uh, the, the freedom of the press does not extend to publishing photos of naked children. The photographs accompanied a story written by the News Times editor Annie Silverman about how Schneider's work pushes the envelope of cultural acceptance. The artist's work includes numerous photographs of Schneider's children in various states of dress. In some, the children are wearing no, wearing no clothes at all. Hill said no investigation has been launched, but investigators want to figure out whether one is necessary. You're dealing with investigators them. are investigating right now. Right. You're dealing with a lot of um, a lot with the definition of art and obscenity standards. Our, our investigators are spending a lot of time in the, the room over there with this uh, naked children photos. <laughs> We're being very, very careful to determine if we need to take action here. In an email, Schneider, who was also a professor at the Arizona State University, said she has spent 10 years taking the photographs which show her children throughout oh, their lives. That's She's cool. certain the photos will be uh, proved as artistic work. I'm confident that the work will stand up as serious art addressing the issues of growing up, change, time, childhood, and parenthood, right. she wrote. You can go to the bookstore tonight. 
Barnes and Noble or whatever, and you can go to the art section and find books with naked children in them. Yeah. So yeah, well, you know, I it's the same kind of art. It's it's funny when uh, when it's bath time for Jack. I'm, I don't get to be there every night for bath time. Bath time us- seems to come um, used to come at about uh, you know seven thirty eight o'clock before bed. Mm-hmm. But uh, now uh, now that he's eating solid food, it comes right after solid food eating time, <laughs> which usually mm-hmm. is in the morning because he has it smeared over everything. But I love that's my favorite time is when he's just all pink and naked and playing in the tub and having a good time and you know free as a little baby could be and I I, I I'm DCF not a pervert. DCF is now investigating you, son. I am not a pervert. You should be. You should, wait a minute. This is a male baby. <laughs> what? You, it's, do you think I named my named my female female baby Jack? Well, I don't know. We got special glasses. We're gonna have to ask you to wear next time you give your son a bath. You gotta obscure the the private parts. It's it's just so weird. Don't want you getting any thoughts. Nakedness in your head. is not sexuality, people. <laughs> Isn't it so crazy? No, nakedness is not sexual in any way, shape, or form. Just the the physical naked human form at whatever age has nothing inherently sexual about it. It's all in your head. If you see a naked kid and you decide that that's sexual, that's your problem, not the problem of this artist who was simply taking pictures of. Her kids. Right. And like pornography to me is something that has to do with sex. sex. You know, uh, uh, they're engaging in sexual activity or something like that. Yeah. If the kids were kissing, perhaps you could make some kind of argument. But. I, you know, I'm talking about tongue kissing. I'm, I'm not yeah. talking about uh, like bent over at the middle, like kissing each other on the lips, like you would uh, see A in some holly hobby, uh, yeah. you know, picture. Now, this it's just it's crazy stuff. How, how someone can look at this piece of art. I saw a small version. I have not seen the the full size one. But how someone can look at a piece of art like this and even have the thought cross their mind that there could, there's something wrong with this artwork. They're naked children. It's porn. Porn, I say. I mean, what? What? You have to be somebody who thinks that way. I would th- I would think on the inside. To, like that finds that uh, attractive or finds it uh, appealing to their prurient interest in order to even think to have that thought come across their head that this is bad. I got it's a quote. Bad. I got a quote. I got to get in here. Okay, so the artist said, I, "I make the most. I make art from the most important experiences of my life, and right now, that's being a parent." Silverman could not be reached for comment, and the spokesman for the state attorney's general's office declined to comment. Uh, However, Barnett Lotstein, a spokesman for the Maricopa County oh, Attorney's gosh. Office, that's Joe Arpaio's neighborhood, right? Um, acknowledged that the office has been contracted by contacted no contacted by the Phoenix Police and is looking at the issue closely. It concerned me. It concerned me. People in this office that may uh, people in this office there may be there's some exploitation of the children going on. The <laughs> county the county's attorney office said that it had a share of run-ins with the alternative yes. weekly newspaper in October. A special prosecutor from the agency ordered the arrest of the the paper's top two executives for publishing information oh. about a secret grand jury investigation. The grand oh. jury in, um, inquiry itself stemmed from the paper's posting of the sheriff Arpaio's home address online. A move the county attorney <laughs> believed may have I love broken these people. an obscure. State law. Whoever these people are, they're my heroes. Yep. Since then, the uh, new, ti- um, new Times and the county attorney's office have been facing um, off w- in federal court after the papers sued with allegations of wrongful arrest and prosecution. It's Lotstein, it's- the attorney general guy, who, uh, who called the photographs published in last week very disturbing, emphasized that there was no investigation at his office in. However, Lotstein said that there's not a blank. S- that's that's not a blank slate for sp- free speech. Basically, what's sounding like My to me goodness. is that 
they're being that this newspaper is being targeted, and therefore mm-hmm. this artist, this woman, this uh, college professor yeah. is going to get caught in the crossfire because yeah. she was willing to give her artistic pictures of her children, and you know, I, right here on my desktop, right on my desktop, on my what do they call that? The wallpaper that's on yeah. your um, computer? Yeah, they call it the desktop, desktop wallpaper. Okay, yeah. yeah, the desktop wallpaper is a picture of Jack in the tub. Nick, look at this picture. Don't look at that, son. Charges. There's charges coming at you. I've seen him. He's looking. In this particular case, because I was, I've read so many stories about. Let me how, see your hands, boy. How many nuts are out there? Um, you know, and they that happen to be law enforcement officers that'll charge someone. I, I put a, uh, a, a the washcloth over Jack's yeah. particular parts because you were sensitive to. It. Right. I, I actually did. I this is what I did before I took a picture for my family oh, and man. friends. I picked up a washcloth. I put it over the little parts, and um, you know, he's there. They're in the tub, smiling at his mommy, big as he could be, with his hair all messed up from the water. Yeah. I usually make a mohawk out of it if I can, because you know I'm there and fun. he can't do a damn thing yeah. about it. And you know, the bath time's a great time. These are these the, the nakedness of this child is wonderful. What was it's the term that guy sexual. used? What was the term he used? Something that was very a disturbing. Disturbing was very it? disturbing. Very disturbing. Huh? You're disturbed by this, are you? Yep. You know that disturbs me. The fact that somebody could look at a picture of a, a naked child and find that that's disturbing in some way. And you know what's interesting? I know, Nick, you've got a related story. We've got a short amount of time to sort of sum it up. But what we've seen over time is that the people that crow the loudest about this issue of child pornography... Seems like they're most likely the ones that uh, have it sitting on their computers. What's the story? <laughs> um, this out of New Jersey, a New Jersey state legislator, Neil Cohen, is now under investigation for possessing child porn. Um, and he had authored or sponsored a law that um, created a 24-hour hotline for members of the public to report computer crimes Primarily child pornography. They've got a child porn snitch line. Yeah, and he also co-sponsored a law that retroactively removed immunity from churches, schools, and other charities that negligently hire employees who sexually abuse children. So he's a real crusader then. Uh, Right, he's a real crusader, but it looks like it's still an ongoing investigation, but it sounds like it's pretty clear that he had images of naked children that weren't artistic on his computer. (laughs) Uh, it's always the go. one growing the loudest. That's what it seems like. All right. 800. Oh, wait, we're done. You should go to vote.freetalklive.com. Cast your vote for the show. It makes a big difference for us. And we'll see you tomorrow. It's been Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.